0: listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. Michigan reached two milestones yesterday in the pandemic, one good and one bad. The good one is that it was the first time in more than seven months that the state reported zero new COVID-19 deaths. But the bad was that there were 3,164 new COVID cases reported. And that's the most new cases in a single day since January 9th. There's now concern that Michigan is experiencing a third surge in cases, despite having now vaccinated more than 2 million residents. Here to talk about where we are in this pandemic is the governor of the state of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer. Governor, welcome back to Detroit Today.
1: Good morning, Stephen. Good to be with you.
0: So let's start with that contrast that I just pointed out in the open. There, a, a wonderful milestone: no new COVID deaths, but more new COVID cases since any day since January 9th. Uh, what should we what What should we make of that of that distinction there?
1: Well, I think it's the thing about this virus, right? Um, it is. It can come roaring back if we drop our guard, if we stop masking or social distancing. We've made incredible strides on the vaccination front. Um, We are are moving swiftly with this new FEMA site at Ford Field. We're going to be able to do 6,000 shots a day for eight weeks. I mean, it is on top of what we're already being allocated. So we've got a real opportunity, but time is of the essence, and that's why we're trying to vaccinate as many people as quickly as possible before too many variants take hold here in Michigan. And we already do have two of them. And so each time we drop our guard or each time we re-engage a sector of our economy, as we know, uh, these numbers are going to go up a bit. One of the graphs that my team showed me the other day was uh, the incredible downturn in terms of COVID cases in our older population. That's who's been vaccinated. So it's working, but in the interim, uh, the concerning thing is when people inadvertently spread it because they're not masking up or they're congregating um, or they're just tired of it. And we're all struggling with that, but it's really incumbent on every one of us to do our part because we are so close um, to the to the end of, of COVID. Mm. Um, so people need to get vaccinated and keep wearing your mask.
0: So, so did we open things too quickly? Did we go back to things like restaurants sooner than we should have at this point?
1: Well obviously we're gonna have lots of debate about every decision that's made and and that's that's fine as we should I think it's healthy to do that. We knew that by taking restaurants back online for indoor dining that we would see an enhanced likelihood of spread. Despite all the best efforts of our, many of our restaurateurs, that is, of course, the case. We know that reengaging sports would create the possibility of additional spread. We have seen some of that happen as well. So each of these actions comes with a heightened uh, likelihood that we could see spread, and that's unfortunately what's happening. The good news is we're in a much stronger position in fighting this virus. We've got three safe and effective vaccines online. We know that masking up and social distancing is still the best tool we have individually to keep from getting the virus ourselves. And that's why I think it's, it's a balance and it's, it's hard to strike the, there's no such thing as the perfect balance, but reengaging with this additional knowledge and these additional tools um, I think was, was what informed our decisions. And certainly it's incumbent on all of us to do our part if we do, we can keep this from spreading too greatly and stay reengaged.
0: Hmm. So, so I want to ask you about something that I hear a lot from people, and and it's a con, it's a confusion I think that a lot of people have about how decisions are getting made about how we get back to to, to the world. And and I'll just give you a, a, an example that that someone I know pointed out to me. The other day. So, when the Tigers start their new season in a few weeks, we're going to have some fans in the stands at Comerica Park. I think the number is now 3,000. Originally, it was 1,000, which is less than 10% capacity. I mean, it's almost nobody really uh, in, in the stands there. At the same time, if I were to leave the studio this morning and go to Walmart or to Best Buy or Home Depot or someplace like that, I could see hundreds and hundreds of people in those places all at the same time. Now, not quite 3,000, but those are indoor spaces. Comerica Park is an outdoor space. What explains the difference there? I mean, I think there are a lot of people who who still don't quite believe that there is a rhyme or reason to the way that these decisions are, are, are being made. Can you, can you help uh, the listeners understand how you're doing that?
1: Sure, I'll do my best. So when you're looking at a a group of people taking in a game, often, you know, that game starts at one time, so you've got a lot of people funneling in together. It ends, you know, at at a certain time, and you've got everyone exiting together. Um, There are, I think, great protocols that Major League Baseball has put into place that we are looking at as we determine if there is more that we can do safely in that space. Um, but I think that the overlay of the context really matters. At this juncture, Michigan's got some of the highest variant spread in the nation, Mm -hmm. and these variants are easier to contract. Um, They're, they're 100, let's see, 150 percent easier to contract, and so that in and of itself is very concerning because one person infects, um, you know, one and a half times more people than they would if they just had the regular COVID, and so these are, Contextual cues. There's been lots of talk about trying to associate with specific metrics that if we get to a 4% positivity rate, then we can drop our guard on everything. The problem with that, of course, is that's going to be impacted by more people getting the vaccine and fewer people getting the test. And so that actually, if you looked right now and had that metric right now, we'd be closing things down. And that's why the context is really important and the the public health aspect where we have to rely on our, our experts to really assess what the risk is on top of where the metrics are is, is crucial. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've been following. I think we've had a lot of success but at this juncture we're We're concerned about where the numbers are and we're we're watching it closely.
0: Yeah, I'm talking with Governor Gretchen Whitmer about where we are in the pandemic and the reopening and in the stream of vaccinations that uh, we finally have really going here in the state of Michigan. Uh, Governor Attorney General Dana Nessel announced this week that she's not going to launch an investigation into nursing home deaths and whether the policies that uh, the state adopted exacerbated deaths inside those nursing homes last year. Republicans have been trying to equate what happened here in Michigan to what happened in New York, where Governor Andrew Cuomo's administration was caught underreporting the number of nursing home deaths. Can you talk about what the difference is between what happened here and what happened in New York?
1: Well, absolutely. I mean, we've been transparent about our numbers. We have followed the guidelines. We have shared the data widely, Um, and Michigan's experience with nursing homes has been, you know, it's been hard because we know this virus uh, is is uniquely uh, hard on older Americans as well as those who live in congregate care, and so nursing homes, sadly, were at the center of a lot of the heartache that we've confronted as a country, but our experience in Michigan has been better than much of the country because we've been so... um, you know, we've had such fidelity to following the CDC guidance and making sure that we're sharing information. So there's not been um, accusations that have shown any evidence toward anything that some of the uh, partisans are are trying to allege here. And that's why I was glad that the attorney general um, essentially said so. And we're going to continue to stay focused on doing the right thing and following the science and protecting people.
0: And uh, so did we make mistakes at the state level with the way we handled uh, nursing homes and and COVID last year? Were there things we should have done differently? Were there changes we should have made faster? I mean, a lot of the deaths that we reported were, of course, in those nursing homes, and there are a lot of people who think that uh, that the state bears a lot of responsibility for that.
1: Well, I think considering how little we knew about the virus and the fact that we really relied on the CDC, which should be the gold standard, um, speaks to the priority that we placed on learning as much as we could about the virus and doing what we needed to do to protect people. That being said, part of the awful Uh, aspect to COVID is the incredible impact it's had on older communities and and congregate care settings in particular. Um, AARP, the former president of AARP uh, has been, you know, a counsel to us and has said that, you know, confidence in the work that we did and University of Michigan study shows that our policies around homes saved a lot of lives here in Michigan. And so I think anyone could if you went back in a time machine and knew everything you knew about the virus today, would you do some things differently? Yes, of course., uh, but considering the little information we had about this novel virus, uh, the work that we did saved saved lives, and um, I think I think it you know it's been a hard time for all, but we've really mitigated a lot of loss that could have happened. And I don't know that something we'll ever be able to appropriately quantify, but I do think it's important, and i I think our policies were um, as as informed as they could be, considering all the changing information around COVID, and I think Michigan did better than a lot of other
0: states. What what about transparency? Uh, the, the, there is this running narrative uh, about how how f- uh, forthcoming uh, the state has been about these kind of stats. Uh, are, are you satisfied that uh, you're being as transparent as, as possible? Is, is that an area that we ought to be improving?
1: I think there's always room for improvement. There's no question about that. We have followed all of the federal guidelines. We have had an, a running dashboard on our website uh, we have worked with the CDC to make sure that they're getting updated information so that as they update their website, that it is really accurate. I mean, a lot of these systems have been built in the middle of this crisis. Um, so I think that that's some of the frustration certainly people have had. But I do believe that the information that we've shared is, is accurate and has been updated as quickly as we possibly can. And I think, um, you know, as as people really assess and have perspective about what we face as a nation, you'll see that uh, we were really ahead in a lot of important ways. It doesn't mean we don't have work to do because that's always the case.
0: So uh, Charlie Laduff, uh, a, a local journalist and friend of mine here in Detroit, has been doing some reporting inside nursing homes lately. And the, the, the things that he's talking about, that he's seeing, uh, are, are really disturbing. And one of them is about... Uh, the the lack of inspections conducted by the state uh, into the conditions inside these nursing homes. Uh, h- how do you respond? How do you respond to that?
1: Well, I can say this: that um, Laura, our department, has of course been working just like every local public health uh, official uh, at every level has been working. You know, incredibly long hours for for the better part of the last year. And um, I can't speak to every part of Charlie Ledef's reporting because I'm not conversant in it. But I I know that we have all been stretched thin. It's been a difficult time, and yet we've got more work to do. And anything other than keeping people safe um, is a distraction. And that's why we're focusing all of our resources toward that. And um, I'll be I'll be interested to learn more about Charlie's reporting and and see if there is additional things that we can bring to bear here. Yeah. But I'll tell you this, yeah, getting correct. some more support out of our legislature in order to have, resources so that we can bolster our efforts is one way that we could do more and that's something i'm hopeful we can accomplish
0: but but is there is there a problem with in, inspections in the way that that uh, nursing homes have been held to account for some of the conditions and some of the things that happened last year with you know shuttling people back and forth between hospitals and and, and nursing homes is that i mean is that the kind of thing that your administration will will be looking into
1: uh, absolutely. And, you know, we've had ongoing dialogue with the homes. You know, I, I know that there's you, not that you've said anything of this nature, but I know that some are suggesting that nursing homes were required to take COVID patients. It's just not true. It's never been true. Mm-hmm. We've worked closely with the nursing homes to make sure that they had PPE and testing and now vaccines. Um, and if they chose to take COVID patients back, we worked with them to set up the protocol so that they could, uh, ensure the safety of all of the residents, and so I think that there's uh, obviously this is a, a heartfelt conversation so many people are having, but I think it's important to have these facts because um, as we have proceeded, we've gone um, to great lengths to keep people safe in nursing homes and to support um, you know decisions that that keep keep residents safe by the nursing home operators.
0: I'm talking with Governor Gretchen Whitmer about where we are in the pandemic, where we are with vaccinations and other issues here in our state. Governor, as a candidate, you promised that you'd use your executive authority to make the governor's office subject to the Freedom of Information Act if the legislature wouldn't do that. You haven't done that to this point. Tell us why not.
1: But I do believe state government has to be open and transparent and accountable. And I am the first governor in state history that voluntarily disclosed personal financial information, income tax records, travel records, public calendars online, and it's on www.michigan.gov/sunshine. In the first weeks of office, I signed numerous executive directives that um, outlined the Michigan Sunshine Plan, require state departments for create FOIA liaisons, encourage live streaming of all-state board and commission meetings, prohibit the use of personal email to do government business. And in my first day of the state, I called on the legislature, the Republican-controlled legislature, to send me bills that extend FOIA both to the executive and to the legislative branches. They've not done it yet, but I still think that would be an incredibly important way that we can take a, a real step forward in transparency in Michigan government.
0: But, what about using that executive authority to make the governor's office uh, subject to the Freedom of Information Act? Are you still thinking of doing that?
1: Well, that's something you know I've, I've considered we've had a lot of debate about, but I think it's crucial. It's absolutely crucial that the legislature is subject to it as well. And that's why I've withheld because I think it's important that this isn't something that only applies to my administration but to future administrations. And to the legislature as well, and so, in order to do this right, we need to codify this into statute.
0: So my last question is about the legislature and about the relationship you have with uh, with the leadership in the legislature, which you know, I think everybody, even looking from the outside can say it's it's at a a pretty low point um, is Is there a a way that you can work? For instance, with Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirkey, who has said things uh, and done things that really denigrate uh, not just your authority, uh, but 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 the, the the very idea of the relationship between the legislative branch and uh, the executive branch. Um, you know, this is somebody who is. Sitting around with the very people who have threatened your life uh, and talking to them about, uh, you know, cleaning up their image, for instance. I I, I, I would love to hear you just talk about how how you can work with somebody who um, who's been doing those things and and who's taken that kind of extreme position.
1: Well, I you know, I, I am human and it's difficult. Um, when a legislative leader is willing to share a stage with people that ultimately are uh, being prosecuted for wanting to kidnap and kill me, it, is, it makes things difficult. And yet, I don't have the luxury of folding my arms and, and not trying to solve problems. I'm always going to do that. And that's what I was elected to do. That will always be the North Star of any decision that I make. It's not about me. It's about us as a state. So I will continue to do that. I do think that there are some leaders in that Senate Republican caucus that um, are focused on solving problems. And we really do have to remember at the end of the day, we have a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity with the resources that are coming into Michigan to make investments that really drive our economic resurgence after COVID, that level the playing field, that create opportunity in Michigan. And so while we should be able to have ideological arguments about some of the issues that aren't front and center. We need to find common ground on getting these resources deployed into our economy so we can safely get back to work, safely get back to school and ensure that Michigan is strong coming out of this tough time. And that's, that's where I'm going to focus my energy and I invite and welcome any legislator, hmm. uh, wants to do that to the table because we've got to move swiftly and we've got to be smart.
0: You, you reference there that there are some other members of the leadership uh, who who maybe seem more more open to the idea of working together. Is that a path forward for the administration? I mean, are, are you able to, to work around, for instance, someone uh, like Senate Majority Leader Shirky?
1: Well, we'll continue to try to Build that bridge with the majority leader's office, but um, I do think that there are other people in the Senate on both sides of the aisle that want to find common ground and want to be part of kind of a problem solvers type caucus. And I think that's going to be really important. Billions of dollars are coming into Michigan, mm-hmm. and we're all right now, the legislature is sitting on billions of dollars that they haven't deployed from the last president. This is money that could go toward helping business that was left out of other programs to get through COVID, money that is intended for school so our kids can get back to school and stay in school safely. These are dollars for our vaccination efforts, which is the linchpin to the normalcy everyone says that they want to get back to in Michigan. And so we've got to deploy these dollars. Other states are moving ahead. They're moving fast. I don't want Michigan to be left behind because we've got some legislators that are looking backward at twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. We gotta be focused on twenty twenty one and beyond as we set our economy up for a resurgence and, and strength for the people of our state.
0: Okay. Governor Gretchen Whitmer, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us here on Detroit today. Thank you, Stephen. That's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow, and we're going to hear from Detroit author Harvey Asensky about his new book, Scratching the Surface, Adventures in Storytelling. This is 1019 WDET-FM, your source for music, news, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.